Welcome to Inside and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Fomichenko. Today, I'm going to discuss the topic of nutrition. I feel like this is such an important dimension that we often overlook. And while we focus on mental health and psychology and the broader topic of what our minds are capable of, it's important to not to forget how important the physical body is and how helpful it can be to ourselves. My guest today is Jenna Hope. Jenna is a registered nutritionist based in London, UK. She is a founder of a consultancy and a clinic, Jenna Hope Nutrition. She has an undergraduate and master's degree in nutrition. She works with individuals, companies, brands, and media to help them implement smarter strategies when it comes to nutrition and longer-term well-being. Jenna, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, Natalia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So let's start on this big and uh, comprehensive topic of nutrition with an understanding of some general rules of thumb when it comes to nutrition, because we all live busy lives and obviously we are all aware that, you know, eating healthier is good for us, but sometimes it's just not possible in, you know, in the environment of the office. So what would be key rules of thumb for those people who are just very busy to go into the topic too deep um, when it comes to choosing their meals? So you make a really good point there. I think often, you know, when it comes to nutrition, people think that they have to do all or nothing. And if they can't do everything, they tend to do nothing if they're busy. And so really the most important thing is to try to be organized and prepared. And I think if we can be organized and prepared, we are far more likely to eat healthier. Now that doesn't mean that you have to prep every meal. It might mean that you want to be more familiar with the food outlets around your workplace environment. So for example, if you work in town and, you know, you often only have like five minutes to run out and get something to eat mm-hmm. rather than going to the closest place or something that you're craving. If you're aware of the healthier options around you, which there are, and actually now we're really lucky with food outlets, whether that be in London or other bigger cities in the UK, that we know there are healthier options. We just have to be aware of it. So. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is always make sure that you're prepared with your snacks. So again, that doesn't mean that you have to stand at home rolling energy balls. It can simply mean that you add, you know, a packet of roasted chickpeas to your bag in the morning. Um, It might mean that if you're working from home on the weekend, you've boiled up some eggs, you've kept them in the fridge. They're ready to go when you've got two minutes between a meeting and you want to grab something to eat. Yeah. So I think that making sure that you're prepared is the most important thing when it comes to being busy and trying to eat healthier. Um, I think it's also really important that we stay hydrated. Now, this is obviously something that probably seems quite basic and quite simple, but when we're busy, A, we're much less likely to drink water because we're busy doing other things and we don't realize that we're thirsty until we get to the point of thirst. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it's really easy to misinterpret those thirst signals for hunger. Mm. And one really common issue is that people tend to feel, you know, depleted in energy. They feel like they're craving something sweet to pick them back up. And I'm sure we've all experienced it where, you know, we might say we're really hungry. So we grab a snack and 
don't really feel too satisfied after that. So we grab another one. And again, we don't feel too satisfied. And then we drink a glass of water. We're like, oh, that's what I needed in the first place. So if we're staying hydrated throughout the day, then that means that basically we are far less likely to get to that point. We're less likely to overconsume on sugar. The other thing is, I think when we are busy, again, it can be really easy to just rely on coffee and caffeine to get us through the day. But we know that overconsuming on caffeine can really impact mental well-being, productivity, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also impact our blood sugar levels and our ability to sleep as well. And poor sleep is going to impact our dietary choices later on. So we know there was some research done that showed even one to two nights sleep deprivation. So four, four hours of sleep per night for one to two nights can significantly impact our appetite hormones. So the results showed that it increased um, ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, mm-hmm. and decreased leptin, which is your satiety hormone. And essentially what that means is that you need more food to feel the same level of fullness as you would off the back of a normal night's sleep. So I think we often underestimate the power of sleep, not only for our health and well-being, but on our dietary choices as well. Um, so they're definitely some of the things that I would say that people tend to sort of skip over or miss when we're thinking about, you know, healthy eating and when you're busy. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning this because I was guilty in the past of doing one or two things that you've just described. Uh, I'm mindful that someone can say, oh, you know, I can drink coffee and I can still sleep. Uh, There are lots of people like that. Uh, But yes, generally the topic of sleep is one of my favorite ones. And I think we need an entire podcast episode on how important the sleep is. But what would you say to those who think that coffee does not affect them? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I definitely come across those people as well. So what the research shows is that whilst your coffee might not impact your ability to fall asleep, it impacts your quality of sleep. So it might not even be something that you notice, but the research shows that if you have a coffee too late in the day, we can talk about specific timings and the impact of that. Maybe when we talk a bit more later on about mental wellbeing, but we know that, um, that's going to impact your quality of sleep. So you're not going to wake up feeling as refreshed as you would do if you hadn't have had that coffee. Um, And I think that that is something that's really important for people to realize because it's easy to think, oh, I can have, you know, I've got friends that will have an espresso after Mm -hmm. dinner and then they'll go to bed. Um, But, you know, that coffee is going to be impacting your quality of sleep. Yeah, that makes sense. And when it comes to hydration, um, that was exactly the habits that I tried to build um, in the past. Um, and I really noticed that when you, like, if you have, if you are not sure if you are hungry or thirsty, you just drink first and then uh, you see what happens. And it's also back to your point about preparation. I think the key step to building high awareness about your physical and mental health is to notice what's going on and to prepare for the um, instances when you notice it. Because when we are so busy, sometimes if we don't have a glass of water on the desk, then it might mean that we won't be able to hydrate ourselves. I totally agree with you and exhibit A. And I would really encourage anyone who's listening to this, if you do have access to water right now, pause the podcast and go and grab yourself a glass yeah, of water. That's a great um, advice. That's your cue. I was wondering, are there any 
um, maybe products that we often overlook in a supermarket, for instance, because I think everyone has their usual basket of foods. And when we have this basket, it's uh, especially that we are very busy and we don't really have time to explore everything else. Are there any examples of products that tend to be overlooked in the supermarket, but would be a great addition to the diet? Yeah, that's a really great, great question. Um, so you're right. We tend to sort of buy the same things week in, week out. And a couple of things that I think that can be really useful to add to your, um, your shop and then you can just access them at any point would be definitely small pots of, um, natural Greek yogurt. So you, again, you can put them in your bag, take them to work, put them in the fridge. Really good source of protein will keep you full for longer. Um, and you can snack on them. They're not just a breakfast. I think a lot of people associate yogurt as being like a breakfast food, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily. Um, beans and pulses, so in a can, super convenient. And these can really be added to anything. Um, so for example, if you've got a soup, say it's a shop bought soup that you've literally just whipped the, the lid off and you're just heating it up in a bowl, just throw in half a can of chickpeas or half a can of kidney beans or lentils, that's going to increase your protein, increase your fiber, keep you fuller for longer, really easy. If you're making mints, um, so a recipe with mints, you can add them into that. A salad, you can add them into that really easy, really quick. Um, the other thing I would say are oats. So oats are an absolute staple in my house. Um, and again, if you don't have time to make porridge in the morning, literally just cover them with some milk, maybe add some nuts and seeds the night before, put them in the fridge and you're good to go in the morning mm-hmm. as well. Um, oat cakes can be a really good addition as well. So for example, if you're busy snacking and say you're someone who quite likes a biscuit in the afternoon, an oat cake can actually be a, be a better alternative, still provides that crunch, still a good source of fiber. So will keep you fuller for longer, um, but doesn't have quite as much sugar as if you're going for a biscuit. So there are mm-hmm. definitely things that you can buy. And I really encourage people sometimes, you know, if they've got a little bit of extra time, maybe on the weekend when they're doing their shopping, spend time in the supermarket. We don't, either we do everything online and we just click, you know, add what we had last week, or we go to the supermarket, we get exactly what we need and out we go. And therefore we're never really exploring new foods. Um, And we know how important diversity is for supporting a healthy gut and supporting our mental well-being. So, you know, if you can pick up an extra um, or a different vegetable, for example, that week, or a different fruit, or maybe you're going to try a different nut. Um, get creative with it and see it as a challenge and something that you can really enjoy. Yeah. And if we are talking about supporting our gut, am I correct that the gut is directly linked to mental health? Because I've heard it so many times that there is gut uh, brain link. Um, what do you think of that? Is that true? That is definitely true. So just for any of your listeners who aren't familiar with the gut, um, the gut is technically, it's the nine meter digestive tract, which runs all the way from our mouth, all the way to our colon. However, when we're talking about gut health, generally we're talking about the um, large intestine. And inside the large intestine, we have the gut microbiome, which is a collection of bacteria, fungi, and viruses. And we might think, oh God, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound right. But actually those, those bacteria and those species living in there can be really beneficial for supporting our health. So specifically when it comes to our mental wellbeing, there is a link between the brain and the gut. 
And there's a nerve called the vagus nerve, which runs mm-hmm. all the way from the back of our head, all the way through into the gut. And the vagus nerve is bidirectional. So what that means is it enables the gut to communicate with the brain and the brain to communicate with the gut as well. And um, different types of bacteria. So for you know, the sake of the listeners, we've got good bacteria and bad bacteria and different types of the bacteria will send out different messages to the brain. So we know that um, a higher proportion of good bacteria can send out more positive messages Mm. um, and support better mental well-being. And equally, if we've got more of the bad bacteria species, then that can contribute to more impaired mental well-being. So that's just, you know, a basic overview of how the gut and the brain are linked when it comes to mental health mm-hmm. and supporting your gut health is fundamental when it comes to supporting your mental well-being, but actually lots of other aspects of health as well. So we know that different bacteria species can impact our dietary choices, can impact how we sleep, our exercise, our motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're almost, well, people are terming them as the second brain. Mm. So, you know, they have so much more power than we ever really thought initially. Wow. So. Is it true that literally if I feel down today, it might be a result of me having bad bacteria in my gut? So do they actually determine my my mood, my thoughts in a way? So there are so many factors that go into, you know, our, our mood, our thoughts and our general well-being. Course, yeah. The gut being one of them, but it's not necessarily the only one. It definitely can play a role. Um, but for example, our hormones will have an impact um, you know, our micronutrient status. So we know, for example, that people with low levels of vitamin D have a greater risk of low mood as well. Mm. So there are a variety of factors that can impact that. Um, lifestyles obviously can impact it. Mm-hmm. Cortisol levels can impact it. So yes, there's definitely an element of that, but it's not necessarily solely going to determine mental wellbeing alone. Yeah. Yeah, I see. But it's all interconnected, as you say. So it's, uh, it's worth really paying attention to you got. Um, I have, uh, two questions. First is what are the products except maybe sugar that everyone knows about that create this bad bacteria state? And then the second one, since you mentioned vitamin D, I was just, um, wondering because I feel like everyone would just go and buy a lot of vitamin D just to make sure that they are on a safe side. But I wanted to ask you whether there are also things that you need to think about when taking vitamin D, because I think if you take a lot of it, it also impacts your kidney, if I'm not mistaken. So just wanted to clarify that. For sure. So um, in answer to the first part of the question, in terms of what is it that can impact the um, pathogenic or bad bacteria? Um, so as you said, sugar definitely can have an impact. Artificial sweeteners. So what we tend to see is people thinking, oh, well, sugar is bad for the mm-hmm. gut. So therefore, you know, we need our sweet fix. Somehow we'll, we'll find sugar free products mm. which contain these artificial sweeteners. We know that they're also not great for, um, our gut bacteria. Mm. We know that potentially, um, stress can have a really bad impact on it as well. Um, artificial additives can also impact the gut bacteria, not consuming enough fiber. So often diets that are low in fiber are much more likely also to be higher in sugar. So again, that interlinks with, with potentially um, higher levels of the bad bacteria. Um, over-exercise as well. So again, it's about finding that balance and moderation mm. with things. If we are doing 
a lot of high intensity um, exercise all the time, that can have a negative impact on the gut. Um, and poor sleep is also going to be impacting it. So there are such a wide range of dietary and lifestyle factors that can affect the gut. Um, I think we all have to look at what we can do. And I'm definitely like to focus on adding things into the diet. So focusing on higher fiber foods, foods that contain polyphenols, so their plant chemicals um, that are found naturally in foods that can really nourish the good bacteria. So thinking about things like blueberries, walnuts, coffee, Mm. tea, believe it or not, coffee can actually have Mm -hmm. a positive impact for some people. Um, But again, it's finding that balance and weighing up the impact of the polyphenols versus the caffeine. Um, Dark chocolate, hopefully your listeners will be pleased to hear about Mm -hmm. that one. Um, And so, yeah, it's really about finding the balance with that and um, working out what works for you because ultimately we are all different. Yeah. In terms of... um, Vitamin D. So the general recommendations in the UK are to supplement with 10 micrograms of vitamin D per day, um, which is not a huge amount. We cannot get enough vitamin D from the diet alone. So the sources are really limited. They include things like salmon, mushrooms, um, milk as well, and some fortified cereals and fortified milks if you're following mm-hmm. more of a plant-based diet. Um so we, we do need to be supplementing, but a couple of things to think about is generally the, these uh, recommendations are to supplement throughout the winter months. So that's really from October to March, they recommend. However, um, you know, in the UK, we don't always get sunny days every day in the summer. Um, and also the other thing is now a lot more people are wearing SPF all year round. SPF is going to block your ability to synthesize vitamin D from sunlight exposure. So therefore, if you are someone who's wearing SPF, you don't go outside too much. We have a bit of a grey uh, summer or grey day. Um, if you're wearing um, basically full length clothing, so if you're just out and about but you don't have much um, skin exposed, that's also going to impact your ability to mm-hmm. synthesize vitamin D. Typically, darker skin is also um, less effective at synthesizing vitamin D. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to be aware of these factors and think that yes, the recommendations are supplement throughout the winter but we really need to understand that sometimes that may not be enough um in terms of doses absolutely there are some people who take very high doses on a weekly basis um that can put a lot of stress on the liver the kidneys and really what we want to try and do is spread that out throughout the week so the recommendations are 10 micrograms um, per day every day Thank you. And coming back to this connection of gut health and mental health and generally the connection between nutrition and mental health, I wanted to ask you about your view on diets generally, because in my previous experience, I think it all started with dieting and me wanting to experiment with how little food I can eat. That then led to binge eating disorder in my past. So this is a sensitive and and very passionate topic of mine. uh, And one of the reasons why I uh, became so interested in the mental health topic in general and this podcast as well. Um, what is your view on diets and um, their connection to eating disorders, essentially? It's a really good question. And you make a really, really important point. So the first thing that I would say is when we think about health, the definition of health is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being. 
and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So people often say to me, just give me the perfect diet. I will follow it and I'll look great. And that's perfect. But the truth is the perfect diet doesn't exist because as you say, you know, what might be perfect in quotation marks for anyone listening on paper actually can have a negative impact on your mental and your social well-being because it might be that in order to look a certain way you're better off not eating certain foods but that's going to have a negative impact on your mental well-being because a you're going to be at risk of more nutritional deficiencies if you're cutting out lots of foods and you're going to be feeling really restricted you might find that you're not attending social arrangements because you know the plans don't suit your diet um, that can make you feel quite isolated and lonely and we know that loneliness can have a really detrimental impact on our overall health and well-being. So I think when it comes to diets, um, I'm not a fan of them. I think that they're not sustainable. There's a really common cycle, which is often people start a diet or, or a restrictive diet, um, unless it's for a medical reason that they've been advised for by a medical professional. If we're just talking about weight loss here, They'll start it from a place of negativity. No one ever really says, oh, I feel really great. I'm going to go on a really restrictive diet, right? (laughs) It often comes from a place of negativity. I don't feel good. I don't feel like I look good. Maybe they've seen a photo of themselves they're not happy with. And so they go on this restrictive phase and they might feel really good for a week, two weeks, maybe even a month. um, And they cut out loads of foods and they, you know, they might feel good. And that's the point where everyone talks about their diet. Everyone tells you how great it is, right? I'm doing so well. Oh, you've lost so much weight. Yes, I'm on this new diet. But it comes a point where you can't sustain that because diets, restrictive diets are not sustainable in the long term. So something will happen, whether that be something in your life or you just cannot maintain this um, level of restriction and your body is almost crying out for nutrients or energy or whatever it is that you're restricting naturally you know our brains if we tell them they can't have something they just want want more of it (laughs) (laughs) so we find that people then fall into a binge eating stage because they 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 basically fall off this diet cycle they fall off the restrictive element and they fall into this binge eating cycle where they think oh well that's it I've blown it now um I'm just going to eat whatever I want and then that's where the binge eating comes in. Now, binge eating and binge eating disorder is quite different. So I just want to like highlight that. Um, but definitely it can come into play. And then what happens is typically people go through the binge eating cycle. They don't feel good. They see another picture of themselves. You know, they, they feel low in energy, low in confidence. Um, and then they're likely to start the diet again because that negative thought comes into their head. Then they go through the restriction phase and the cycle continues. Yeah. I think when it comes to binge eating disorder, there are so many things that can play a role. And, you know, we have to look back sometimes at childhood. Trauma can have an impact, self-confidence, self-esteem, um, self-efficacy. All of those things can really impact binge eating disorder. Um, and, and in general, an individual's relationship with food. So, I think that anyone who is concerned about their eating habits, binge eating disorder, or potentially not eating enough, really please go and seek advice from your healthcare professional because there's definitely things that can be done um, and you want to kind of stop it before it gets too late. Yeah, yeah, I agree, completely agree. I think I 
spend too much time of my life thinking that I can solve it by myself. Yes, on one hand, I did solve it and it led me to the path of psychology and coaching. And I think it was a blessing in disguise in this sense of me finding something that I'm really passionate about. However, it took too much of time and health. So yes, please do seek professional help. We cannot do everything alone. And even if we can, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to waste all this time and health to do that. So just wanted to emphasize this topic. A hundred percent. Totally agree with you. Yeah. I'm wondering if someone who's listening does have it. And while they're thinking about uh, seeking professional help, what could be maybe the easy nutrition choices that they can change that are not very restrictive, but would provide them with nutrients and maybe give them that energy to get out of the cycle. Definitely. So one of the most common um, behaviors when it comes to binge eating disorder is we find that people tend to restrict eating food at all. So they might think, right, I'm going to fast until they get to the point where they're going to binge because they know they feel like they know they're going to binge anyway. So they try to almost save up the calories or the energy for that binge. So that can actually make the situation worse because your blood sugar levels during that process is dropping. When your blood sugar levels drop, you're more likely to feel hungry. You're more likely to crave higher sugar foods as well. Um, And you're much more likely to feel like you need to eat more. So one of the things I really encourage people to do is try to eat more regularly. So try to not think to yourself, no, I'm going to, um, I'm not going to have breakfast today, for example, because mm-hmm. I know that at some point later on in the day, I'm going to have a binge and therefore why would I waste my, yeah. my calories on breakfast? Actually eating a high protein, high fiber breakfast can help to stabilize your blood sugar levels. Once your blood sugar levels are stable and then eating, you know, more consistently throughout the day, that can help with managing that binge eating. However, one thing I really want to highlight, as I said, that a lot of it comes from a psychological perspective. So, you know, if you're binge eating for reasons from childhood or trauma or whatever the factor may be, that that alone is not gonna is not necessarily going to fix binge eating. Um, for people who eat compulsively or potentially stress eat, that's much more manageable in a sense that if you're someone who is a stress eater, firstly, I want to highlight that it's really, really common. Um, mm-hmm. We often find actually around 40% of people will increase their food intake in response to stress. 40% of people will reduce their food intake in response to stress and around 20% of people, their food intake doesn't change. Mm-hmm. But with those people who are stress eaters, essentially why that happens is because the body's producing cortisol, which is the stress hormone. When you are eating in a time of stress, you are um, suppressing the release of that cortisol. So physiologically, you feel calmer, right? You feel your your brain says to you, "This is great. Like I feel calm. I feel relaxed." And the cortisol is not coming into play. So for those individuals, we want to achieve the same outcome, which is reducing that cortisol. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do, and this is you know, something I work with clients on for a prolonged period of time. So whilst I'm going to say it in a, you know, one or two sentences, I do want to highlight that it is definitely a process, but ultimately the end goal is to try to get to a point where you are, 
you can manage your stress and you can bring your cortisol levels down in other ways that you're not looking for food to do that for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but that can explain why sometimes people who may not necessarily have binge eating disorder can find that when they are really stressed, they're much more likely to eat, you know, a higher consumption of food and potentially those foods are more likely to be higher in sugar, higher in fat because they're most effective at yeah. reducing that cortisol. Yeah. Are there any foods that are healthy and reduce cortisol level? So, so those foods, essentially, they will make us feel better. They'll release the dopamine. Um, mm -hmm. There are definitely, you know, if you enjoy other foods, I would always encourage people to try to focus on higher protein, higher fiber, um, complex carbohydrates, rich foods, because there's, those are what are going to stabilize blood sugar levels. Um, really, though, when it comes to stress, I would never really encourage anyone to rely on a specific food. What we want to do is break that relationship between stress and food rather mm. than use a different food to have the same yeah. effect. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Thank you so much, Jenna. That was super insightful when it comes to nutrition in general and um, for um, eating disorders and not only disorders, but stress eating as well. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? And I will definitely put your contact details, your Instagram page, if you want to, to the show notes so that everyone could find you. Thank you so much. Um, I think really just remembering that there's no one size fits all. That's so important. And that sometimes, you know, it's not about the number of calories that you eat. Um, there's so much more to nutrition than that. And I think often, you know, especially with the world of social media where people see images of aesthetic bodies that they think that they might desire and what I eat in a day videos. You never know a what's true. You don't know what the individual is doing behind the scenes to look like that. Um, and I think there's also a lot of focus on just eat less and move more, but actually food is fuel and um, really we need that food to be able to support our hormone production, our mental well-being our longevity, our immune function. So we don't want to demonize it. We want to enjoy food in the best way that we possibly can and get creative, you know, try new things in the kitchen. Definitely, you know, I'm all about trying new things and thoroughly enjoying food in a healthy way. So yeah, do um, come follow me on Instagram. I share lots of recipes and some tips and tricks around nutrition um, that, you know, yes, I talk about weight loss, but also it goes far beyond that as well. Thank you so much, Jenna. And uh, thank you for emphasizing the fact that, I mean, as simple as it sounds, we all need balance. And when this balance is restored, our body becomes our friend. So it doesn't become, you know, this machine that is demanding sugar or craves something. When everything is in balance, body can actually tell us what nutrients we are missing or how much food we should eat. Are we full um, that we already ate half of the portion or not? So it, it becomes your friend in a way. And this is a great feeling from from the experience of a person who has gone through the eating disorder. It is a great feeling and it's worth it. So please don't underestimate nutrition and I wish you best of luck in your nutrition and mental health journey thank you thank you so much